Welcome to the New Zealand Tech Podcast, presented by Paul Spain and Anne Guest. Welcome along to this, this special podcast episode. You're with myself, Paul Spain. Nate Dunn. And Rod Drury. Rod, great to have you here. We're here to talk to you a little bit about Zero. I know a little bit about that, yeah. Well, we're, we're hoping so. So uh, j- just to kick off, maybe you can give a, a little bit of a background to the listeners of how you ended up launching Zero and you know where, where the ideas and, and so on uh, came from. You'd had Aftermail uh, prior to Zero, and you sold that off. So you can maybe share a little bit of that story. Yeah, so all the things I've done have been uh, problems that I've sort of seen in my own world that I really wanted to fix. And uh, we were doing a lot of internet application development and... Uh, I worked in a um, accounting practice. I was at Arthur Young and Ernst Young, and I'd done a lot of implementation of accounting software. And it was actually when uh, Active Server Pages version two came out with Master Page and all that sort of stuff. And I was sort of just finishing off a business I was doing in the US. I thought, man, it'd be really cool to build a um, accounting system online. So, so, so I took a couple of weeks and locked myself in um, uh, my office at home and just started writing it. It felt really good. At that point, we'd done okay. I'd sold Glazier Systems and done a few other things, but um, I hadn't really had that big score, and I had seen this pattern of of US public companies having to acquire tech companies, so I thought it'd be really good to make some money. So I built this um, uh, online accounting kind of prototype, and it felt really nice. But that didn't feel like the sort of business you'd build up quickly and sell. It would take a long time to get customers, and you don't really want to sell the, sell the base. So I uh, was also, at the same time, was really annoyed that um, uh, Microsoft Exchange wasn't sitting over SQL Server, and um, and had a guy called Mike Upshin uh, get back from the UK, and he was a bit of a crack programmer. So we um, uh, we sort of sat down and sort of, sort of thought, hey, what would email look like if it was actually modelled properly? Uh, and so started playing around with that, and and I thought actually this is a really good candidate for building up uh, quickly and selling it to make some money. And part of it, I think, was um, you know coming from a small set of rocks in the South Pacific was to um, prove that we could uh, build up a bit of global technology that was really good. So it was nice to get the money out of Aftermail, and it was only really 18 months after starting the business where the napkin came across the table in Orange County. We ended up getting 15 million US in cash and 20 million of potential earnout, which we didn't get any of, uh, which was a really good lesson. But um, the coolest thing actually was um, that year we won at the big Microsoft uh, um, global conference, we won Best Exchange product, and that proved to us we could actually build some world class uh, technology. So that gave the war chest to start um, uh, what became Zero. Uh, but as we were doing Aftermail and having built a bit of accounting software before, it just uh, became clearer and clearer, just this massive opportunity. Great. And when was it that you actually started, that, that Zero started as, a, as an entity? So it was, uh, must have been around 2006. And um, when we did it, when we sold Aftermail, we had about 23 people and everyone's doing four or five different <coughs> jobs. Um, and the model, we saw this was a really big build. It would take a lot of time. We needed about 50 people. And 50 people is half a million a month, just a crazy amount of money. And we figured we probably need that for a, for around three years. So I kind of needed 15 million bucks. And back in those days, um, uh, the probably the biggest venture capital deal done was probably two or three million. And that would have been on a valuation of five or something. We probably could have raised 15 million up on the US West Coast, but it would have had a valuation of 20 and the business would have uh, sold by now. 
So um, the the traditional venture capital route wasn't available uh, to us. So off the back of selling Aftermail, Jeff Ross had done 42 Below, which he listed on the stock exchange sort of as an idea and ended up selling it to uh, Bacardi. And uh, I was on the board of Trade Me uh, when that sold. Um, there was a right at that time we could actually tell a big story and float the company. So a lot of people say, well, why did you take zero public? Well, that was really the only way we had to fund a business and do it properly. So, you know, fast forward six years now, it's really exciting. We're 400 staff, 160,000 customers. 60% of our revenue was offshore. We're um, annualized revenue run right now, 50, over 50 million. And, um, you know, we've got a $1.5 billion market cap. Yeah, I think some uh, some pretty impressive some pretty impressive numbers. Now, you know the market cap, obviously, uh, you know that that that's something based around uh, you know what people see as the you know the future potential of zero. Now, you, you mentioned uh, your customer base there. What was one hundred and fifty? Yeah, one hundred sixty odd thousand. One hundred sixty odd thousand customers. How big is that market for uh, for accounting? You know, small business, small to medium business accounting software. This is you know we're talking hundreds of millions of of users. Potentially, yeah. I mean, in the US there's uh, 20 million. Uh, I'm alone. Then you look at South America and all that. It is it is just huge. And um, so one of the ways that techniques we've used for people to kind of work out what we could be worth is saying, well, imagine the business um, with a million customers, and then people can sort of do their spreadsheets. So, I mean, our share price has gone up really fast, and it's tempting, I think, from a New Zealand point of view to go, well, have those guys of 10x, it must all be over. Mm. Um, But what's happened in the last year is we've moved from being an interesting New Zealand company to a company that's right on the the global stage. And... um, the people that have been buying at these levels have been sophisticated US um, investors. There's some quite interesting things happening there. So when we talk to these guys out of Boston and New York who are interested in this cloud space, they're betting on technology trends they've seen before. So you know, when when um, maybe 30 or 40 years ago, however long it was, the mainframe computer market went from nothing to you know maybe a few billion dollars. Then we saw the mini computer thing and um, mainframes went to zero, many computers maybe got up to $10 billion and then um, uh, the the client server happened so uh, many computers, you know, companies like DEC and uh, uh, those sort of, I can't remember the names of them now, they went from, to nothing and then the, you know, client server vendors went up, there's probably 30 or $40 billion worth of revenue in that market and, um, and exactly the same thing's happening with the cloud so client server revenues will start to fall soon and I think the numbers I've seen, there's about $30 billion of revenue in uh, cloud at the moment, and the numbers we're seeing or hearing is that'll be a trillion-dollar market uh, over the next five to ten years. So uh, in the U.S., you have these um, very sophisticated investors that have you know, literally billions under management, and they get paid when they place funds. So they're looking for bets. They want to uh, bet on big trends. So when you start thinking, oh, I want to get into cloud, you map the market. There's enterprise, so Workday, Salesforce, those sort of companies. There's mid market companies uh, like NetSuite and then you look at the small business space and they very quickly find zero. Yeah, good. And I mean, how did you establish those relationships to get some of the investors on board that, that you've got, the likes of Peter Thiel and so on? You know, how do you... Uh, um, yeah, how do you how do you get those things in place? Being uh, being from little old New Zealand, you know we're we're uh, you know we're well away from where uh, a lot of those investment dollars are and so on. Yeah, so you think that, but actually New Zealand has a very special place in the uh, global titans uh, landscape. So um, if you've been driving around the provinces or even down in Auckland, uh, you'll see quite a large number of private jets that are 
around the place. So my understanding is, um, you know, Barma and Gates from Microsoft are down here all the time. The Google Jet was down here quite a lot a few years ago. I was in a meeting with um, in Austin, Texas a few years ago, and Adam Dell, Michael Dell's brother, Michael's down here all the time, but um, Adam Dell came into the meeting and goes, hey, you guys are the Kiwis. We said, yeah. And he goes, oh, I'm down there skiing every year. What? And he said, yeah, I was at Fox last year. I was um, at Wanaka the year before. So, so those sort of global titans of tech are already down here. Uh, I think the head of SAP has a house here. I was at a um, at a place the other day, and a woman walked past. And I thought she looks familiar, and someone said, "Yeah, that's the global head of um, IBM." So, if you're, well, I think one of the reasons for that is if you're right at the very top of the tech industry, and you've got enough money for the really big jet that can fly for a long way, where do you go? Mm. You know, you might um, uh, sit there with your plane uh, at Moffat Field and. You know, you go to New York, everyone stays dressed and it's all very nice. You come down to New Zealand, you know, you put your pyjamas on, you sleep in the hammocks, you get to use all of the toys. So mm. I think she think we're a kind of, we're an interesting thing being an overnight flight from the US West Coast. And I think a lot of the people in tech are here. So Peter Thiel was down here, loves New Zealand, had brought a house, got involved with the New Zealand, um, uh, our trade New Zealand and the investment arm of that. We got to meet him. Um, as soon as um, they showed any interest, let's see you at your place. So fly up there, take New Zealand out of the equation. And, you know, one of the neat things, one of the highlights of Zero, um, you know, a lot of the listeners would have uh, seen the social network movie where Mark Zuckerberg goes and pitches to Peter Thiel and got 250 grand. Well, we did that meeting and got four million bucks. Yeah, that's pretty cool. With, um, you know, you're going into a market where you've got an incumbent like MYB, and it, I think in the mindset of, of small Kiwi businesses, that when you're going to start off, the, you know, one of the first things you do is you go down to your retailer and buy MYB, and, and, and that's, that's what you set up with your accounts. What sort of challenges have you seen going up against something that's so, well, was so entrenched in small business owners' minds? Yeah, I mean, that's really hard. Those companies have been around for a long time and they have brand. But you get these sort of once-in-a-lifetime opportunities where the technology shifts. So our hypothesis was the um, incumbents uh, would actually struggle moving to the cloud, and, and that's sort of paid off. So in the cloud, everything's different. The, the, the distribution model's different. So under the old days, you'd go down to Harvey Norman's. Um, there's a box. The retailer probably takes half the box price. The um, software provider uh, gets their revenue really from selling support contracts and earns margin by pushing support to the lowest cost call center where the first question is, which version of software do you have? So you can't really sell cloud software in a retail store because there's no upfront price to sell. So, so, the, so everything's different. The channel's different. The uh, technology's different. The type of developers you need is different. The support model's different. Everything was different. And it was, it's actually much easier starting from scratch as long as you've got the capital to get through those first few years, which you managed to do uh, by listing. Um, so so, the, so the, the big picture, though, is accounting software was, uh, is only really the tickets to the game. The kind of mega trends that we're betting on is, you know, biggest market in the world is all consumers and no one likes paying for anything. So, um, you know, that's kind of hard. The next biggest market must be small business owners. And even though all small business owners are also consumers, with your small business hat on, you'll pay for stuff. If you've got money coming in, you're going to spend money to make money. So we think the small business internet is one of the biggest monetizable opportunities on the web. The, the problem is, though, that it's very expensive to sell to small business. So Oracle, SAP, the big global financial software companies, have never been able to scale down to sell. They've never. So all the brains of financial software have applied their talents to the Fortune 1000 companies. And um, 
the, what the cloud does is completely change the economics of selling to small business because you're not going on site, you're not sending CDs, you build something once and there's very low marginal cost for a new person to come through. So this is now a land grab of having no innovation for 20 years. You've seen companies like us raised $140 million, we've spent probably 70 uh, plus so far and we're massively investing in the space. I remember um, being at a couple of the Zero conferences and you were talking about how and you know, just before this, we were talking about how Twitter is starting to cut off um, their developers and everyone that sort of helped grow Twitter to where they are through limitations with their API and other things. What's your sort of, and what's Zero's feeling behind people such as uh, my company that use the Zero API to extend and to move into these particular verticals? I'm assuming that's another way that you're going to um, increase your growth? Yeah, I think what, what's kind of neat about us, um, because we're technologists, we're not really business people, we're kind of business people by accident because we have attention span of three-year-olds and want to build software companies. So, um, you know, we never really think about this as a as a, um, as a hard-ass sort of corporate thing. We actually really enjoy building software and um, and saving people money. It's, it's, a, it's a really uh, kind of purposeful thing to do. And I think also when you're a bit older and, and all that sort of stuff, you have real clear values about what you're trying to do. So for us, we really believe in the ecosystem. Partnering is one of our core values. We don't have to charge our partners for anything because we all win if we all work together. And it's been interesting as we've got a bit more profile, seeing some you know really large brands doing things that um, uh, I can understand why they do them, but it just doesn't make sense to me. So Twitter's a good example. They don't really love their users, and I understand that their users aren't their customers. Their advertisers are their customers. But when they killed the ecosystem for all that innovation around the outside and then didn't even replace those tools with their own tools, like they didn't do a retina version, and they said they're not, not going to they, – they killed all the Mac OS X clients and then decided they weren't going to invest in their own one. I just don't get that, that – why would you make your users not like you? It just doesn't make sense. Mm. So it's pretty you know, strange how they've you know bought out TweetDeck and then they've you know basically uh, you know kill, killing it off. And yeah. So, but uh, you know there is a signs of life. Like they have just said they are, they have just updated and, and added the Retina, um, you know, functionality to, to the Twitter client, and hopefully they'll add all the Twitter cards and all that sort of stuff. But you see it right across the board. You see. Um, you know, even with Apple having this very lockdown, closed view, this app view, not a widget view, or an information-centric view, um, which is all about you know control of the experience and all that sort of stuff. So, I don't know. I just think there's an interesting when you're from a small country like New Zealand and you know a lot of people and you know, it is a real village. I think your kind of values and your ethics are very well tuned because you can't kind of um, sort of upset people. So maybe that characteristic is a competitive advantage we have. And so it's very natural for us to partner and be generous with partners. And do you think being, you know, being from New Zealand, we have a much better view of how to create products that are aimed at a global audience? You know, I often see things come out of the U.S., uh, and you know, Microsoft's an example. You, you know, you mentioned Windows Phone um, in previous uh, discussion, and uh, you know, one thing that they had was a, uh, a podcast capability for the US users, uh, not available to users anywhere else, uh, you know, in the world. And you know, we often see these things from US companies that are very, very US centric. Uh, you know, do you think is that is that something that's sort of helping you on a global uh, basis? That uh, that Kiwis tend to take a, a much broader view of the world. 
Yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. And because we're from a, such a small little sort of pond with four million customers, if you're going to do anything at scale, you've got to get a source. You've got to be thinking internationally from day one. Whereas I've seen it before, you're in the US, it's a massive market, you can see this massive market. So you're going to go and do that first. You know, we're finding that with Intuit. So, you know, you would think they're a global company, but actually do very little outside of, of the US, even at their scale. Mm-hmm. Um, it was interesting when we started meeting some other sort of smaller accounting software vendors that were going in the US and had seen our numbers go crazy because you always think that um, you're disadvantaged being from down here. These guys are saying, you guys are so lucky starting in a small market where you know everybody and all that sort of stuff. So, I mean, I think there's actually been advantages from moving here. I think, um, you know, under the enterprise software world where you had to go and install software and have big consulting organizations, the natural gravity was the US because um, they already have the global sales forces. So we saw the um, you know companies from New Zealand, Australia, um, Israel, Europe would get to a certain size and sell to a US public company. But the internet is quite different, and I think we're seeing a lot more innovation happening outside of the US. In fact, one of the things I've noticed when you go up there is um, – the, the guys that have done really well that you know are very young because it's such a big market. If you smack it out of the park, it's a big number and you do it pretty early. So, um, you know, I go up there in my late 40s and my peer CEOs are in their mid-30s. So you've had double the business experience because so, we tend to have to do it in a series of small steps. So I think that kind of global view, we can take a chocolate out of every box and people seem to like us. Um, you know, there's, I don't think there's any real disadvantages and some really cool advantages are coming from New Zealand. And for you know there's there's a lot of small uh, businesses here in New Zealand that know that you know their potential is in expanding into into the global market but they don't know they don't know how to do it. What do you think that uh, you know business owners here should be doing uh, in order to be more successful globally because you know surely uh, you know with the de- decline in uh, in opportunity for New Zealand to be a, a, a you know a nation that you know manufactures a lot of products uh, you know we've got to change our economy and, and where we generate our revenue right yeah and um, I mean some of the things things that we talk about a lot is um, you know we've sort of forgotten we're a small subscale market and you know, scale, um, it's really hard to sell when you don't have a lot of scale. And I remember um, uh, being in Nelson just recently and walking past, there was no one on the main street, walk past a restaurant, there's the business owner sort of behind the bar looking out longingly, and there's basically, you know, tumbleweeds going down the street. And then a couple of weeks later, we're in a family holiday in Waikiki, and we're standing outside as place as vile as the Cheesecake Factory, and there's 400 people outside with those little buzzers telling you that your table's ready. You know, how much easier it is to do a business when there's real scale? And um, the, the issues with scale, um, they, they get worse in a very slow pace. It's the, you know, frog being boiled in the pot thing. So class, student class sizes go up a few more. Um, you know, hospital wait lists go up. A whole lot of little things. The college education is not quite as good. So um, these are the sort of things that happen. So there's no burning platform, but you know, often hear from New Zealanders you come back to a um, you know five years gap, and it's oh my god, this place is you know it looks a bit tatty. There's not the investment, you know. Um, so, so so I think 
part of the messaging is, especially for us in the technology industry, if we're not going to export, who is? You know, you should. Everyone should wake up thinking, how do I contribute to the export value chain? And the great thing is, all of this new technology allows you to play and be a you know a niche player in a large global market, and it's a huge amount of fun. You get to do a couple of conferences a year and meet people that are interesting and buy your Nikes and you know, why wouldn't you? Yeah, yeah, it is. It is a lot of fun, uh, you know. I guess be, being a Kiwi, getting uh, you know, going offshore and so on. But you know, how do companies that don't have the uh, experience and the connections and so on uh, do that? Where, where, you know, where do they look for help? I mean, obviously, you you had uh, you know experience when starting zero. You you know, you had a level of uh, of funding to draw on. And uh, you know when you went out and did that IPO, uh, you had you know you had a reputation to uh, to draw on. But you know I guess there's a lot of um, you know, a lot of pretty smart Kiwis that are that are trying to do things, but they they you know they don't know how to get from having that you know great idea uh, to where they can really execute and uh, you know get the funding where they can sell their products and so on. Yeah, so I think um, thinking about entrepreneurship as a series of baby steps. So with each deal you do, each business. You you know get a bit more of your own capital, a bit more experience, better networks, and all those sort of things. So you always hear about the story of the person that smacked it out of the park on their first deal, but much more uh, repeatable is doing a number of steps where you gather all these things as you go forward. So if you think that if you think that's the model, then on the first one, it's not about the valuation of the angel round and all that sort of stuff. It's about getting in the getting into the game. Um, having the capital to have a go, uh, being able to get a bit of a win and pay your shareholders back, so they have a good res- uh, they have a good result, and they'll come back and back you the next time. So, so that's one pathway. Thinking about it, doing in a in a series of small steps. What's changed since we uh, did this is we actually now have global sort of uh, technology companies of scale. So the likes of um, Orion up in Auckland, you know, Venus just raised a bunch of money. They're going to hire a bunch of people. Um, you know, we're hiring. We're trying to hire two or 300 people at the moment. So there is now actually these global companies. We can come in and get that experience, which didn't, you know, that just wasn't around when I started. So if you're really interested in the stuff, come and work for a company like us for a few years, get that experience, build your networks, do some travel and see what happens. And how hard do you find it to, uh, you know, to get people? Uh, you know, doing doing something, uh, you know, I guess that's that, that's different to what most other businesses in the country are doing. Um, you know, we don't have necessarily a huge pool of people. Um, there, there are lots of people. So, um, you know, there's a lot of um, New Zealand software developers are tied up in the services business doing fee-for-service work. And, and they just haven't been sort of product companies. Product <coughs> companies always felt like a risk. If you were going into a, a senior person, an early stage product company, you know, you're probably taking a salary sacrifice and all that sort of stuff. That's been risky. But now we're actually seeing the maturity of properly funded companies, proper jobs um, with shares and all that good sort of stuff. So um, there actually there needs to be this migration away from, uh, you know, I, I think people feeling like they have an obligation not just go and um, charge out their time, but do actually build IP that builds overnight. That you know um, that other New Zealanders can invest in and get a return on. So it is it is changing, and a lot of the um, you know work that we've been doing is about um, and some of the you know paying it forward stuff is just uh, being out there advocating for you know product you know building IP type companies. Mm. Now uh, looking at uh, at social media, 
you know, I guess a, a really quite a, been quite a key tool as far as uh, as as far as zero is concerned. Can you sort of maybe share some some areas where you've you've really leveraged? I know um, a while ago you were mentioning on uh, on Twitter about how useful you found uh, LinkedIn because you were able to uh, uh, look up all your competitors' people and. Uh, you know, find people of particular interest and uh, and snaffle them. Whereas I guess in uh, in years go by, you know, that information about who worked for who wasn't always quite so public. Yeah, yeah, no, that's uh, always good fun stuff. So we were lucky. I think when you're starting a business, it's easy to start with a social media program and just be open about it. It's mm. kind of, I think it's almost a natural state now. Whereas if you're a large incumbent, it's very difficult to turn on social media because not for any one reason, but you're going to have a thousand people that hate you. So, um, uh, so we're all about exporting those advantages. So our philosophy was being very open from the start. In a little country like New Zealand, it's, you know, things like Twitter are actually really quite a lot of fun. But you end up um, finding that the journalists follow you, follow you with the decline of you know real journalism. It's all about page views now. It's very easy to you know um, get your stream of consciousness out there and start stories and all that sort of stuff. So you know it was really an interesting example was in the last couple of weeks um, uh, when the IRD was talking about this 1.5 billion starts off with a tweet and I was really angry, so I jumped on a Google Plus and wrote a few paragraphs really in about 10 minutes. And then that got reposted, uh, reposted onto the NBR, became the most commented story. And uh, then it's on the news, there's TV cameras coming in. So it's quite amazing. And this how started with you just making a comment about the IR, the story that the IRD was, yeah. was looking to invest that in, yep. uh, in redeveloping their own house. Yeah, I was kind of annoyed that I had to do it. There's plenty of, um, you know, I don't really want to be the poster child for the New Zealand IT services industry. I'm doing enough stuff, but uh, those guys should step up as well. But it's um, you know you know one of the things I worry about is you know we are uh, covered a lot, but that's really because there's not a lot of other things going on unfortunately. So the more um, be nice to see a few more other companies starting to take the load. But um, you know the other thing is with with uh, you know the, it's the job of the CEO to get out there and like we don't um, you know ring up the journalists they they just phone you for a comment because it's easy and. And they're trying to get that nice little hook. And uh, so you do have to have a bit of a thick skin with the stuff, but it is quite fun as well. Mm. What do you uh, use in terms of uh, you know, tools and so on for managing those social media platforms? Do you have a, an in-house team that sort of run that stuff? Or you just you know, individually you tweet and, and, and you know, post on you know, LinkedIn and the like? You know, I have a whole army of uh, comedians that write on my lines. <laughs> you know, um, well, I, I do my, all my stuff myself, so you know, I've always blogged and done all that myself, and anything from me is from me. Um, but we do have a, a social media team, and I think one of the interesting things about Zero was moving from you know in our in our marketing spend, not having people um, who are sort of doing real work, then playing with social media on the side, is inverting that, and actually we have community managers, and we pay them, and they do all that sort of stuff. So. You know that is um, that is absolutely real work. I mean, one of the interesting things about social media and business is it's inverted the customer care queue. Mm. So you know, before uh, irate customers would be trapped inside the call center, having an even worse experience, and now any customer of any business can say, "I'm having a bad time," and the business has to respond. So it's a very a democratic. Uh, thing and I think in New Zealand it's amazing. You know the um, ASB, Vodafone, Telecom have um, have really uh, you know shown how corporates can uh, can blog and and have quite a bit of fun. Absolutely, blog, tweet, and all that stuff. Yeah, and and do you, how important do you think social media has been to the success of 
zero because you know you can't be in you know every part of the world all the time uh but you know social media lets you sort of generate a you know a buzz and interact with people you know anywhere anytime sort of thing yeah no i mean it's just amazing it's been a big part of us and what we're trying to do is amplify that so um accounting software is a um really is a word of mouth thing so it amplifies but we're using social media internally so big big issue well not an issue but a big uh, ongoing challenge with zero as we keep doubling staff is how do you maintain the culture so you know we use yammer as our internal social networking um uh, platform and in my dna it just made sense to overshare to communicate mm. and uh, i love that you know i'll be you know in a, in a car with one of our team up in the um uh, the north of um England and same sense of humour we know them know who they are because you know we do share internally so you're able to create this sort of global family and it's quite interesting because we have you know our uh, UK teams very different from our US team but yet the the culture and the values and all that are truly international. Mm. So using social media internally has been a great way that we build. And it's interesting, you know, if I speak at a large corporate, the sort of IT or maybe the comms people are saying, we really want to roll out Yammer. How do we do that? How do we get executive support? Where I think modern companies, the executives are the ones driving it down through the business. Mm, absolutely. And I, and I think, yeah, that, that totally changes the, the adoption and the use of these things, isn't it? It's very hard to sort of push up. That, that type of communication and that, that, that way of operating. Yeah, I mean, I get, you know, people, people tweet me saying it's unreal that a CEO tweets. Well, I still think of myself as an 18-year-old skateboarder, not a CEO, but, um, but why wouldn't you? I just don't understand why, why I mean, that just, that's just what you do, mm. you know? Well, that's great. I think that uh, that wraps this up for uh, this round. So thank you very much for joining us. Now, Thanks, uh, speaking of social media, where will we find you uh, in the online world? Uh, I'm uh, Twitter at Rod Drury, very easy. Okay, well, thank you very much, Rod. Uh, it's been uh, been great to chat. Thank you. Okay, cheers.